0: You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week seven, covering Commandments two, six, seven, and 8. So yes, uh, the guy came back to do it again. So it wasn't terrible the first time through, and hopefully not from your vantage point either. So again, I'm Corey Mitchell, and... Uh, so I'm not going to do the whole intro like I did last time. So uh, I, th- I mentioned this last, but I'll reiterate a couple things. So I've been I've been studying the book Deuteronomy for 20 years, and I've been teaching the the series that I teach uh, the three month series that I do for 16 of those 20. And one of the things about the, the one of the things about studying the book. And this was early on for me. I mean, there was a number of different things at the time kind of theologically that were swirling in my mind. It wasn't just Deuteronomy, but it was a key part of it. But through this journey of kind of letting myself understand something that I had really concluded I didn't understand and going through it, uh, I often say God rewired my brain. And and I'm really not saying that kind of with hyperbole. I, I really feel like he forged new synapses in my brain, right? Uh, and, and made me think differently uh, in all kinds of areas, not just about how I approach the text, uh, but, but just how I process information. So it's just really been, been quite an experience uh, for me and continues to be. And so here, I'll just share a couple of different things at the beginning before we get into, our, into the text. So um, go ahead, Christy, put this first slide up. So just two verses from Psalm 119 that uh, inform me when I think about the law, capital T, capital L. Uh, so here's, here's two verses. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever, and your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heaven. So the idea being the law is eternal. It's not temporal. Now there are temporal things. Uh, there are things that become obsolete, to use the words of, uh, I think it's Hebrews 8. But the law, I think. Deuteronomy, what we're talking about here, these things are eternal. And so if they're eternal, then I wanna make sure I understand them well, right? Or I teach them well, et cetera. Uh, so there's two verses for you. Uh, so we wanna have a right understanding of it. Um, next is, a, I have a quote from Thomas Cahill. I'm gonna read from a snippet of a book of his, but this is, these are, this is just a long quote that he shared in response to somebody, I think, commenting on this book in a negative way. But it's such a, he's a historian and an author, and it's just really helpful. What I credit to the Jews are the values I find in the texts of ancient Hebrew literature, which we collectively call the Bible. There can be no doubt that the values of processive time, individual destiny, and social justice are so peculiar to the Jews that we can say for all practical purposes, they invented them. Now, of course, we wouldn't say they invented them. The one who spoke them uh, is the the one who's the source. There is nothing like these values, expressed with such intensity of feeling and such sharpness of insight in any of the world's other ancient literatures. Go to the next one. In the West, we have become so accustomed to these values, these ways of thinking, looking, and feeling, that we have come to assume that they are self-evident. They are not, as a serious look at any other ancient literature will quickly show, and as I hope I demonstrate in the gifts of the Jews. Uh, So just one comment on this before I read a little snippet from that book. Um, this, This is such helpful context, I think, for us. When we read this, it's, it's jolting, like the language that's used and some of the things, I mean, it's, it's jolting, but to realize in, a, in the context of history and particularly antiquity, how revolutionary, the stuff that you're studying here revolutionized the world. The world is not the same because of these texts. And so I found this to be really helpful. And then here's a, here's a brief quote, and I have a picture of the cover of the book. Uh, My wife got this for me because she knew that I liked these other quotes from him. All right. He says, um, the Jews were the first people to break out of this circle to find a new way of thinking and experiencing, a new way of understanding and feeling the world, so much so that it may be said with some justice that theirs is the only new idea that human beings have ever had. The only new idea that human beings have ever had. But their worldview has become so much a part of us that at this point, it might as well have been written into ourselves as a genetic code. Uh, And so I just share those to, to realize as much as we might struggle with some of the things that we read and have maybe harsh language, and I'll talk about that in a moment, we are the very way that we think, particularly in the West, Western civilization has been formed coming out of these things that you're studying uh, and being able to kind of step out of history that we're in in the moment and somehow grasp uh, that, I think, is a helpful context. All right, so a couple couple things, just principles of interpretation for me when I approach this. In the back of the uh, workbook, very last page, is this chart uh, that... Uh, the team was very gracious in adding it in there and uh, has my name at the bottom there. So this is a, a schematic that I put together years ago and I use. And I just want uh, to you know, make the same point I, I frequently make about this at the risk of you've heard this already. But when we approach this, these texts and we look at Deuteronomy, look at these, these passages we're going to look at, we have to have this lens. What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the one that is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so coming out of those, right? One to four, and what's it look like to love God? And then five to 10, what's it look like to love your neighbor? And then here's the idea. 12, chapters 12 to 26, what you read in a big chunk, and then you're, you're going through them again here they further explain those 10, right? They give more detail and elaborate more on those 10 uh, in those chapters, but still never losing sight of the, the greatest commandment. If we don't understand the greatest commandment and the one that's like it, when we try to read and understand these things, it'll be an exercise in what we call legalism, right? But the opposite's also true. If we get the greatest commandment and the one that's like it, we can understand any of these, even these kind of obscure, odd commandments filtered through the right lens, we can gain insight uh, into God's heart through it. And uh, that's, that's another thing, right? I, I shared this the first time, like I don't, I don't think I get this and I wanna get it. And so I'm gonna study Deuteronomy. Show me your heart and your law. So understanding the heart, looking for the heart of it, uh, when we look at the 10 Commandments, what's the heart of the commandment? Okay, do not murder, but what's the heart of the commandment? And I'll talk about that as we get further in today. So one of my observations over the years of teaching this uh, uh, many times at this point is that one of the things that happens to us when we we read through it and we read a text and, is the consequences are so harsh when we read them, right? We, we, we we're hit by the, uh, oh my goodness, that's such a harsh consequence. And so what my observation is Because of the harsh language of consequences, we get stuck on the consequence to the point that we may actually miss the teaching. I know Chris last week talked about the rebellious son. is a perfect example of this. Take your son, you know, this profligate son, and he's a drunkard and whatever, and take him to the city gate and the elders, and you know, the the, the people will stone him to death. Like who, oh my goodness, like this is crazy. And of course that's that's the point, who does this? No one does this, no father's gonna do this. So the teaching, don't let it happen to your son. Don't let your son drive out rebellion. You know, drive that out of their life because, boy, that'll just harm them all the way through their life, right? And Chris did a really nice job explaining that. Perfect example. Don't get stuck on the consequence and miss the teaching. Like, what is the teaching? All right. Let's get into it. So uh, we are covering the sixth, seventh, eighth, and second commandment, and I'm gonna do them in that order, sixth, seventh, eighth commandment, and second commandment. And uh, so when I do this in my series, those are each individual weeks, and they're one hour long. (laughs) So that's four hours that we're gonna do in 20 minutes. So, this is going to be just the cream at the very top of covering this. Uh, So, but I actually have done two sermons that touch one sermon very specifically on the sixth commandment do not murder, and the other sermon, another sermon uh, a number of years back that I I talk about the Eighth Commandment, I use it as an example. So if you would like to he- hear even more from me, <laughs> uh, and I understand that you might not, uh, so here's some, other, here's some other resources, you can listen to those sermons and just kind of go a little bit deeper than we're going to be able to go today. All right, 6th, 7th, and 8th Commandments, so crucial. That whole idea on that slide, that quote from Cahill about social justice, this phrase that we hear all the time today, but really social justice has its origins in Deuteronomy. Now, we've taken it and we make it mean whatever we want to mean today, but really the the origin of it is right there. And in particular, these three commandments are so central to it, uh, uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th Commandment. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, and do not steal. So my lingo, what I say is don't take your neighbor's life, his wife, or his stuff. That's my uh, version of the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandment. Don't take your neighbor's life, his wife, or his stuff. So let's let's uh, let's look at how the these chapters further you know detail out. So chapter 19. Just turn to chapter 19. We'll talk a little bit about do not murder. Seems. Uh, Seems really straightforward, right? Do not murder. So 19, 1 to 13 is a really good text. It's about cities of refuge. Um, So when they came into the land, they had three cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan. And then they established three more on the west side of the Jordan. And this explains, another text in Numbers explains, as they grow, as they expand, they get more people, they'll have to establish more cities. And the whole idea of the city of refuge is that if somebody has accidentally killed someone, they can flee to that sanctuary city city of refuge and not be killed by the avenger of blood no time today to talk about the avenger of blood you'll have to listen to the sermon uh so um but what's what's helpful is this chapter explains now what is murder right what is murder versus what is manslaughter that's our term right what's what is what is a murder that deserves this consequence of death versus uh, a death that is accidental and so for example in verse four we have uh, this phrase. Uh, This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety to a city of refuge. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally without malice aforethought. So that phrase, with with malice aforethought, with or without malice aforethought, if you go look in our own kind of language, legal language, you'll still find that phrase. That phrase is still used in our definitions of like a first-degree murder, uh, second-degree, et cetera. And that, that uh, different degrees we have around murder, manslaughter, and so forth, that language is used. So this is without malice aforethought. And in verse 11... Uh, but if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbor, and then flees to one of these cities, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and be handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. And there's one of those phrases, show no pity. It's like, Ugh, I don't like that phrase. Like, why do they have that in there? Uh, but here's this other phrase so that it may go well with you. And I think I mentioned last time, when I see that phrase, I think, okay, there's a natural order of how the world works that is being addressed here. And the reality is, if we don't deal with murder, right, with malice aforethought, forethought, if we don't deal with that in an effective manner, and we, that's fine, we can debate as a society, as a nation, what is an effective way to deal with, to, uh, deal with that. But if we don't, we will get more of it. That's the idea here, right? Deal with it effectively, so that you don't create a violent community. Because if you right, then it'll go better with you; it'll go well. Deal with this. Deal with this well. All right. So there's there's a, there's a nice section just what is murder, going into it a little little more deeply. And then chapter 22, thinking of the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Did you did you look at this in your tables? This chapter 22. I'm not like totally blindsiding you, right? By Okay, all right, so same thing, really challenging, challenging 13 to 30, challenging texts, uh, and especially here, I'm a guy in a room of women. Like, when we get to the Q&A, maybe some of the cues will be from this uh, text here, right? So, but this also, like, what is adultery, right? It starts off with this accusation. A husband has taken a wife, and then he doesn't want her anymore, doesn't like her, whatever the case is, and, and accuses her of adultery, right? And they're supposed to adjudicate the matter, and uh, you know, dad's going to defend her and so forth. And so what's adultery? Well, this, no, this is a false accusation and evidence brought forward and so forth. Later in the chapter, of course, it does talk about this is adultery. A man and woman found together, uh, you, know, comm- you know, another man's wife. This is adultery. And then goes, then goes beyond just adultery. What is rape, sexual assault? What's rape and what's not rape? And this is one of the things that's so striking to me over the years, having taught this study, is it, it has never gone out of style, if you will, what we're talking about in the class when we're touching on it. Uh, so a couple years ago, right, the middle of the Me Too movement, this was a major thing. Like, what, well, okay, um, you know, should we always just say, it's, if, if it's an accusation of rape, it's rape. What do we do with this? How do we, you know? And he, here in the text, now it's not as sophisticated, maybe as how our justice system is gonna deal with it today. Uh, and it's good, we should increase the sophistication of a justice system. But, but if you read it, right, there is an idea. If they're out in, if, if the man and woman are out in the countryside, it is rape, period, right? Right, did you pick that up? Period, because even if she cried out, there's no one to hear. So, right, it, it lays that out. And so here's one, don't miss the teaching, guys. Okay, I'll speak to myself, right? Don't put yourself in this position. Don't even be in this spot, right, where you can be accused of this. So you have to be very wise, right? Uh, so even if it was consensual, but later on became an accusation, you're going to lose that. That's, you know, you're in the wrong spot. And so the lesson for a man is, uh, like, you know, today, no means no, right? And I, there's a church group, I'm talking in the harsh realities of life, what it's really like out there, right? So, I, I, you know, you got a son and a daughter and your son's going off to college and you, you need to tell your son, right? How, how they're gonna carry themselves in situations appropriately. Appropriately just how you should deal uh, with the women in your life in, a, in a, the right way, but also if you are in a relationship where you need to carry yourself wisely. And then certainly, I have three daughters, so, um, you know, as you go out, right? right, don't put yourself in a bad spot. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. You, <laughs> I'm a guy. Who wh- am I to tell you what you should be telling your daughters, right, about these things? But you get the idea. So to go further detail, you'll have, que- you'll have some cues, right, for my, uh, for my answers later on. So we won't go further in that. And then the Eighth Commandment, Weights and Measures, Chapter 25. i got to wash my time, right? I'm going to totally chew this up. So we're going to keep blowing, going through fast. I really want to get to that our time later here. Chapter 25, verse 13. Do not have two differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. So do not steal, right? Yeah, don't walk into your neighbor's house and take their things, right? That's do not steal. But, ah, but there's more than that. It is also stealing to have dishonest business dealings, right? To, to use two different weights and measures in how you transact business. That's also theft, right? That's stealing. And then back to chapter 24, I'm just picking out a couple of verses here. Verse 6. Do not take a pair of millstones, not even the upper one as security for a debt because that would be taking a person's livelihood as security. So this isn't theft, stealing in the way that we think of stealing, but another part of this commandment is don't take someone's livelihood from them. This is to me one of the most egregious things that happened in the middle of COVID when we shut down is the kind of somewhat, I'm not not being political here, this is truly like just me as theology guy, We denied people in certain strata the ability to actually do, uh, make their living. Uh, Small businesses closed, and I kept saying, my daughter, my oldest guy, like, oh, dad, I know. I start using the phrase myself, I've heard you say it so many times, that's taking someone's livelihood from them, right? That's unlawful, don't take someone's livelihood from them. And then the verse that started it all for me, 25.4, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. This is the verse that, is actually Paul's interpretation of it, uh, two times he in, uh, uh, includes it in one of his epistles, but his interpretation of it's really what started me thinking, I don't think I think about this right, right? This is about Knox, And he says, is this really about an ox? No, it's about us. It's like, that verse says about Knox. Like, that's what it says. So, you know, that began to form me. Uh, this verse, to me, is why socialism, communism, this one verse explains why they will never work because you cannot deny the worker the fruit of his labor. Or we could also say, like, over-taxation. Over-taxation is theft, right? If a government that institutes taxations that's unfair, um, you know, that's, that's muzzling an ox while it's trading out. That's taking from the worker the due wages that he or she deserves, all right. So that's don't take your neighbor's life, his wife, or stuff. But uh, lest we conclude that the law is only do nots and don'ts, that's not the case. It's also do watch out for your neighbor's life, his wife, and his stuff. So one of my favorites when I think of do not murder is chapter 22, verse eight. We're gonna have a very short time on on the second commandment, so I'm just gonna like, (laughs) because I wanna stay on these. Chapter 22, verse eight, when you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from your roof. And I, this is like the first OSHA, you know, law, <laughs> right here, right? And, and uh, Pete Whitmire, Amy's husband would say, absolutely, right, there's very clear guidelines that, you know, a parapet is like a little wall on the top of a roof, uh, has to be a certain height now, it's very specific guidelines. And so here, here it is. And what's the idea? The idea is you are proactively protecting your neighbor's life. So yeah, don't take his life, but watch out for his life, protect his life. Here's a simple way of doing that. Uh, Don't eat a bat. This is my very quick thing about the food laws. What's with the food laws? What's all that? So the last one, if you read through them, is a bat. COVID was totally helpful. All of a sudden everybody, it was so much easier to teach this. yeah, eating a bat is, bat is bad. It's not bad because it tastes bad or who wants to eat a bat? It's, it can spread disease rapidly. Whether it came out of a lab, again, not being political, whether it came out of a lab or it was zoonotic, if you're into all this stuff, it doesn't matter. Either way, it's a bat virus. And it spread quickly and killed a lot of people, right, around the world. That's what can happen with food. So protect your neighbor's life. Don't eat things That spread disease. There's my simplistic rendering of the food laws. Okay, and by the way, as you get older, your doctor will give you food laws as well. Uh, So get get ready. If you haven't, if you don't have it now, you'll have it later. All right. Uh, Financial provision um, for women, verse chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. So do not commit adultery. Right. So don't take your neighbor's life. Watch out for your neighbor's wife. If your neighbor, same idea, like, oh, I don't love my wife anymore. I want a new wife. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 15 to 17 says, but she, through her son, right, through that son, still has financial provision. Uh, So deadbeat dad laws and alimony, I would point those same laws that we have today right back to this. Right back to this text, right? You can't just leave and walk out the door, uh, you know, fella, and not bear financial burden for providing for your wife, right? So having a system that makes sure that we are proactively looking out uh, for the mom and for the child, um, you know, in those situations. And then um, a verse on the Eighth Commandment. I know I'm blowing through these fast. 22 verses 1 to 4 and I'm just going to read 4. It's, it's so impacted me and it, the number one sermon example I've ever used as far as people citing it back to me after the fact was I said, when you see your neighbor's Recycle bin blowing down the road. Do not ignore it. Take it back to their yard. And I could tell, it's like, we obviously all have experienced this, right? This is common to man. Uh, so, uh, four. If you see your fellow Israelite's donkey or ox falling on the road, do not ignore it. Help the owner get it to its feet. You know, or if you see it wandering, right, get it and take it back. I could tell stories about teaching this over the years of people experiencing this. Uh, look out for your neighbor's stuff, right? Don't take their stuff, but look out for their things as well, right? Proactive. All right, and then even more than do not take your neighbor's life, his wife, or stuff, and do watch out for your neighbor's life, his wife, and his stuff. But what's the heart of the commandment? What's really the heart of these commandments? So 24 verse five, uh, back to the sixth commandment. If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Uh, And if you read through chapter 20 and talked about not forcing a man off the war or whatever, it touches on the same idea there. And what's the idea? What's the idea here? Um, So stay home that first year and have a baby, okay? So this is my interpretation, right? I mean, you might not have it in the first year. You get the idea. But don't end that family line, right? Don't let that man's line be wiped out. The heart of the commandment is life. May life increase over the face of the earth. The very first commandment ever given to mankind was be fruitful, multiply, right? Fill the earth. And that has never changed. That's God's heart for life. And not just human beings, but that, but all living things would abound and fill the earth and multiply, right? So he's into production and reproduction and... Right, that's the heart of the commandment. May life increase. We should be people of life. And I don't just mean that again in in an abortion sense. Yes, that as well, that we speak life, that we are for life, but that we're also watching out for people's lives that they would flourish. I was a little boy growing up in a single parent, teenage mom household, and if we did not have people uh, watching out for us, I don't know what would have happened in my life, right? So it's not just like, oh, good, I was born. It was 1969. It was before 1973. This is in that same sermon. But uh, uh, if what would happen if we didn't have people watching out for us and taking care of us? Be that kind of person of life, okay? That type of person of life. Seventh commandment. The heart of the seventh commandment is to honor and protect the marriage bed. So uh, this is in Hebrews 11. Honor the marriage bed. So that's in this... 7th commandment 2, honor the marriage bed, honor and protect it, and honor and protect women. This is a key part because here's the reality. The community thrives as the home thrives, right? As children thrive, so thrives the community. And the way that children most prominently will thrive is through the mom who's with them most frequently and a dad who's obviously in the house, right? That's, that's what's going to happen. And so the man is not just like, I'm going to head out the door, right? That will be so detrimental. Male abdication of responsibility is a major problem in our culture. Right, it's, it's incredibly detrimental. So these commandments will protect women, they'll protect the home, protect marriage, and these are the things that it will make it go well with you. Uh, so that's the heart of the commandment. Um, I'm gonna save, I'll save some other comments for the Q and A, assuming you have a Q that I can give the A. Uh, and then the heart of the eighth commandment, what's the heart of the, don't steal, yeah, don't steal. Don't take your neighbor's His stuff, look out for his stuff. But 29, 24, 19 to 22, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olive trees, olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, for the fatherless, and the widow. And then don't harvest to the edge of your fields. The heart of the commandment is to be generous, right? To be generous, to be those who are providing for others. So a spirit of generosity. Yeah, financial generosity, but, but generosity in every way. Um, and when a culture starts going into decline, what happens to us as human beings is we shift into a mode that says, I'm just going to protect my own. Right? That's the mode that we shift. If we feel there's injustice in a system, a justice system, or any, any other institution, right, we're gonna self protect or we're gonna be around people who are gonna self protect. Um, but the heart of the commandment is to never let ourselves get hardened like that, right? Instead, always have and be open hearted, right? A spirit of generosity. All right, so that's six, seven, and eight very quickly. Second commandment. So one of the ideas of the chart is also the parallelism. I know that uh, Christy touched on it two weeks ago and you did the exercise with the headings. This actually came not from me, the headings, they came from uh, John Walton. Uh, something I'd read from him years ago really impacted me on thinking about this parallelism that so struck me. Uh, the parallelism of the commandments. And so why I do six, seven, and eight first and then go to two, right? okay, don't make an idol. Okay, well, I think I, can, I think I can meet that commandment. I think I can do that. I won't make an idol. But now six, seven, and eight, particularly seven and eight, right? Do not commit adultery. Well, how do we commit adultery against God? Well, if you read the text, right? Idolatry. Anything else that would supplant him, that's adultery. It's neat that in English, idolatry and adultery are like just turn some letters around. And... So anything that we would put Ahead. anything that we would place in that spot, that's adultery in our relationship with him. And can a man steal from God? Can a man steal from God? Yes. Yeah, actually that's the question, it's in Malachi 3. And yes, you, you steal from me when you don't bring me your offerings. A full offering, it goes on, talks about, you know, you bring me blemished, you know, you bring me lame animals. Would your governor accept that? Would you take that to your governor? So here's the idea, right? The best of the best, that's what he deserves. What is the best of the best that I have and that I'm willing to bring to him? My time, treasure, talent, right? Time, treasure, and talent, the best that I have and I wanna offer it back to him in recognition that it's he who has given it to me uh, in the first place. It doesn't matter what level of talents I have, right? That's not the point. It's not measuring against my neighbor. Right, it's relative only to what He has provided to me, and a heart that desires to grant it back to Him and to offer to Him and to His kingdom. One last quote from the Scriptures: uh, Jesus. This is. Uh, this is. These are probably. This is probably. Like, just bring it all up. Sorry, I didn't know it was. Uh... So this is probably like the theme passage of my entire ministry as a teacher is Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount, 17 and 19. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And when I read that, I'm, once again, I'm reminded, I want, if that's true and he says it, then I wanna understand this well and I wanna express it and teach it well, right? This is what he said. The law's eternal. And so let's be good handlers of it. The end. All right, Q&A, right? <laughs> I would normally pray, but so what do you, how do we, how should we go about doing this? We have uh, table leaders and, uh... oh, you don't have any. Yes. And so I'll try to repeat back, too. I'll try to repeat back so it's on the recording. But go ahead, Carrie. (laughs) That's that's pretty intimidating. So take it back with you. Take it it back with, and then you can hand it through. You don't have to walk up front. That can be pretty intimidating. Um, Could you just address for us the um, command that God gives his people to uh, utterly devote to destruction the towns that he's going into? Yeah, uh, so this is a tough one, right? Like, uh, you know, the God of the Bible is genocidal. Um, this is a tough one, right? Do not murder, but. Right, it's, it's, yeah, do not murder, but. That's a good point. So um, here, here's my thought on this first generation coming into the land and receiving these things. And they haven't even come into the land yet, right? But I'm gonna give you an interesting parallel. Ananias and Sapphira, Okay. Wait a second, Ananias fire struck dead, right? Like, isn't this the time of grace? What's going on with that, right? The point is, it's early. It's at the very beginning. The danger of the nations, and it's exactly what plays out. The danger of the nations, and they're coming into there, is that they will adopt their ways. They will be assimilated into those cultures. And if they don't truly drive them out, you know, um, and, and so utterly devote them to destruction they're going to become assimilated into their ways. That's exactly what happens. That's how it plays out. The besetting sin of Israel for until the exile is idolatry, and it's because they, they ended up not influencing their neighbors but being influenced by their neighbors. Now, if God's only intent was to keep them from having anyone around them, he wouldn't have put them in Middle Earth. Mediterranean means Middle Earth for you Tolkien fans. So he wouldn't have put them right there in the highway of trade between the continents. He would have put them up in Britannia and just protected them. So he wanted them there, right in the middle of things, right, but, but that to me is the context that I process it through. This is hard, but the da- that's how dangerous it is. That's how dangerous it is. And this is the hope of the world. This nation is the hope of the world. And if they lose these things, the world loses these things. So that's, how, that's the lens through which I read that. And Ananias and Sapphira, right here at the beginning, right at the beginning of the new church, and so they're dealt with harshly to, for that to carry through the church at an early point. God's spirit really is present. And so, so don't, there should be no pretense or presumption among you. Uh, Is that how it plays out all the way through history? No, he doesn't continue to to do that, or perhaps a fair number of us in our congregation, self-included, that would have uh, hit the ground years ago, right, all right. All right, 2219, 2219, okay. Why is it good for her to stay married to a man who hates her so much that he would bring a false accusation against her that would cause her to be stoned. And then further down, why would a woman need to marry a rapist, same idea. Okay, so, so yes, why, right? Like that is like, this is wicked, right? We read that, that is wicked. But the idea is this, provision, right, Pro- provision. Because if, if otherwise what happens is she does not, no one will marry her, this is the idea, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go further. No one will marry her and she will be left destitute. And so you can't do that. You need to continue to provide and protect both of them. Um, Now, here's an important verse, particularly for the rape one, uh, is Exodus 22. So this will help us, Exodus 22, 16 and 17. So it's a parallel, but it offers another piece to it. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her he must pay the bride price and she shall be his wife. Now if we stop there that's what Deuteronomy says. Ah, oh, but there's another verse here. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him he must still pay the bride price for virgin's. So that's the key, right? That's how we know it's also the provision. The provision is the is the the key element here. You cannot just take this woman, discard her, without any further responsibility to her, right? So it's, it's the provision. But the father can say, no, 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 right? That's not, that's not gonna happen. And the father, yes, he'll pay the bride price, but the father then will assume responsibility. When I teach this, I say, I am thankful that for my three daughters that we live now. There are lots more opportunities, right? We would, this is not what we would do, and there is no reason to do it because there are other means of provision, there are op- other opportunities. We're not in agrarian culture where the very, your very provision is based probably on physical strength. That's not the case anymore, right? We have a much more sophisticated economy, uh, so lots more opportunities. So we would not follow this, we would not do this. And no father, same thing, would say, yeah, I want you to do that, right? That's not the heart of a father. If anyone has a question, we're going to mic run now, so just put your hand up, and we'll come to you. Oh, sorry, and here's, there's another one on there. How are the three commandments related to honor and belongings? So 6, 7, and 8. I, so the belongings part is probably the hard word, right? Is my wife my belonging? Well, yes, right? She is mine, and I am hers, right? We would say that kind of thing. So the, there, this belongs to the... You know, don't take your neighbor's life, his wife, or his stuff, right? Those are his right they're not yours i don't want to step on the toes of the person doing the 10th commandment right but the 10th commandment is going to inform the human heart about the sixth seventh eighth commandment as well as five and nine and then on same thing on the second commandment right this is what he i never said what the heart of the second commandment is the heart of the second commandment is true worship i want true worshipers okay true worship so this heart-level worship. So these are the things that are mine. And so they're his belongings. So that's, that's the idea of the belongings. Um, this kind of follows up with the question before. but um, So when the first Passover happened, everyone in the household was covered by the blood of the Lamb. And yes. when they began celebrating, um, when they had the tabernacle and they came and did the sacrifice, that was a man always, I believe, I don't think a woman brought ever. I don't know for sure, but. Um, Good question. I can't think of anything. Keep going. So uh, the question associated with that then is if there is a woman, for example, Naomi and Ruth, when they came back and before Boaz, would they be covered in any way because they're not part of a man's household? It was so important. So how would they be covered? How would they be atoned at that time? Well, I don't think, so, so, there's an earlier example. Is Rahab right? Rahab. Um, is Rahab going to be in heaven? Yeah, I have no doubt. Not talking about Rahab and her. I mean, it's, and it's her household. And who knows? Okay, so maybe she's running a brothel, right? If we go to that. But so she doesn't require some other type of covering, right? To be. In fact, what's the text say? A father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in His holy habitation. So when that when that cover right me as the as a father and as a husband provide a covering in my home. But if I were not there, if I were removed, if I died, whatever the case would be, what he says is I, I step into that situation and I am that. Um, and so it's not that they would somehow require um, you know there has to be kind of a man in her life. The idea of leverite marriage where the brother, that's same thing. That's two things. That's provision and protection. That's one thing I mean. <laughs> Provision and protection. But it's also, I don't want your brother's family line to be ended, right? Light, that life may abound. That's not about they have to have it. It's required. I would not read it that way. Um, I would see it much more as tangible, tangible issues of life. And so, um, no, there's no, if if you, had a, if you had a single woman, right, coming out of the exodus, um, she'd partake of the, I have no reason to think she wouldn't partake of the Passover, you know, without, you know, anything else. Ruth and Naomi, the story is amazing because, and she says these words herself, right? The Lord has left me desolate, right? Call, don't call me, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, bitter, right? I become bitter because the Lord has left me desolate. Um, that doesn't mean desolate like he's abandoned her or anything like that, but right, she, he, all these things, these means of provision, protection, have been taken away. And the amazing thing is Ruth says, I'm gonna go with you. She con- we know how the story goes. So we're like, oh, that's wonderful. But she has consigned herself to a life of po- potential poverty and danger in, in what she does, Ruth, by going with her. Now, God provides, right? Boaz steps in, and, and you know, it's a wonderful story. And of course, in the line, just like Rahab. Um, but yeah, I would not want to, there doesn't have to be a man that sits in a, in a role in their lives, uh, in you. that way. All right. I have a question. Um, so you see a lot of like honoring of women through like polygamy, but you don't see a lot of like consequences for that or sorry and say one more time because oh, I didn't sir. pick up the you first one you see part. a lot of like women still being honored through the practice of polygamy but you don't see a lot of like condemnation or consequences for it so I just was curious if you could speak into that a little bit or share some and thoughts on I it. still had trouble hearing the oh, first sorry. The first. I can try again so try again. there's honoring of what did you say at the beginning honoring of women through polygamy Like women are still honored even though. oh that there's polygamy yeah. Yes. So you don't see a lot of consequences for okay. Consequences for polygamy. I see lots of consequences for polygamy in the scriptures, right? I see. I see El. Elkanah, right? Is Hannah, Hannah, and Penina the husband? And it's like, don't do this right? because there's this tension in the house, and so I see those kind of very real consequences. No. Yeah. So jesus gives the interpretation right this isn't the way what's from the beginning you know and and so uh, again i would say why is there polygamy there's two 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 things that i see in the scriptures one is kings taking on multiple wives to create alliances with neighboring peoples or other kings so you know kind of just the way of the world for a long time so setting aside that example the other reason is just to have more sons, right? Have more children. And it's, it's financial, it's a financial element. Uh, that's what I see uh, in it. So while not, there's, not a, like, there's not an active consequence, again, there's a, there are consequences in my opinion when I, I read them. Uh, but I think you know, we get to that point where, where Jesus gives the good interpretation. This isn't how it was from the beginning, right? Um, you know, one man, one woman. Back to all the way back to understanding Genesis two um, properly and giving that interpretation. So yeah, there's not a consequence to it, but there's also not a lot of examples of it. At a cer- once we get past a certain point in time, other than we have Solomon or David or again a king, we don't really see a lot of non-royal roles where they have multiple wives that I can remember. Somebody can correct me. Corey. What is a sojourner? So a sojourner is someone who is staying where they don't live for a period, you know, a sojourn. They're living somewhere that is not their home. So <clears throat> the Israel and Egypt is the sojourn in the sense that that's not where they are ultimately going to live. They are sojourning uh, in, Israel, or in Egypt. Corey. Kind of refugee, but a little different flavor of it. Yes. Corey, I have a question on the not coming to abolish the law type of thing in, in explaining it to someone who looks at the Old Testament and sees all these really harsh punishments, you know, stone them, take them out and kill them, blah blah blah. Um, when Christ took our punishment for us does that is that part of the, um, about, of the fulfillment of the law and those harsh punishments were put on him instead of us and that kind of releases the need for that? So there is certainly that. I mean, Certainly a fundamental understanding of the gospel is our consequence that we were due has been taken upon him, right? He has borne it in his body, shed his blood where we deserve to have that. And let me just say this, right? That the, the do not ignore it, I didn't comment on that too much in 22.4. That's, those are the four words that cut me to the heart. Do not ignore it. And aside from all of the you know, the things we're talking about, at the core, what I've realized, the more I study Deuteronomy, is I am selfish. I, I am a selfish being. We as humans are selfish beings. And so we are not inclined to look out for our neighbor before ourselves. And so that's you know, the root of so much of sin in our, in our lives, my life, is this, this selfishness. Not even wanting to give to God what is his, all of those kind of thoughts. And so, right, the consequence, of course, he bears the brunt and bears the consequence of sins. He's raised to life, and this is the promise that he is the first fruits uh, from among the dead and that we will have this promise of life. So absolutely, the gospel message. Now, how does it affect the law? So I don't read it, I, I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, certainly in the sense that he does it, right, right heart understanding, right act, actions, all of it but I don't read fulfill, I sometimes will say this. Some people interpret that verse, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to abolish them. Some people will interpret that verse in that way. That's how, when they describe it, that's what I hear. And I don't think that's the right understanding. I like the idea of reversing that word fulfill, fill it full, I have come to fill it full, to give a right understanding. And that's what he goes on to do, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, what he goes on, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. uh, Do not commit adultery, and I tell you, do not look lustfully at a woman, right? Do not murder, but I tell you, do not be angry with your neighbor, and don't curse your neighbor, right? Don't call them a fool. That's how I see this, what he goes on to. This is the heart of the law and always has been, a right understanding of it. That's what I see that he does, so that we would not have, yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I, I, I won't go further. I just want, I'm going to make sure we have more time. But that's how I read that. But my, my sin, I'm, I'm, I will never, uh, God will continue to work in me and drive away selfishness. But I will never not be selfish. And so I will, I always have need of that redemptive work that he's done, right? We should never... We should never come to the conclusion that this is somehow what, I, what we will aspire to in this life or we will have missed the point. Um, instead, uh, so, okay. Romans. <laughs> I really could talk a long time on this stuff. Romans 13, Romans 13 is really helpful. And I'll just read this, Romans 13, eight to 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbors yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That to me is, is along the lines with this idea. The one who loves their neighbor fulfills any of the commandments because that's what they're about, right? That's what their intent is. If you love your neighbor, extend love to your neighbor, you are one who fulfills the law. Now, not to think of that again as somehow our redemption is going to be in that. That's, that's incorrect. Um, there's one other text I was thinking of. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'm going to stop because I'll get them wrong. So, uh, against such things, there is no law, right? That's what it says. These things are always lawful. And that, so that, I want to connect what Jesus says here in in 517 with those two Pauline comments. I think they give us, they help round our understanding of what Jesus is communicating. A right understanding of the law, not a hypocritical legalistic understanding of what the law requires. We're already six minutes past 1045. I have, I have a question that's somewhat related to that one. Um, when Jesus spoke to the woman caught in adultery and he told um, them not to stone her unless they had sinned, did that kind of end, that practice, and was the practice of stoning people caught in adultery still happening? I mean, I'm assuming it was because it sounds like they were going to stone her, but and how, did that, how does that have to do with like, him not abolishing the law So, obviously, they bring, I'm gonna assume that they were still doing it because of the situation, but the goal of the situation clearly is to catch Jesus. They want him, they wanna accuse him of rejecting Moses. But here's the thing, and I had it on the reference, but just for time, we didn't do it, right? You saw John eight, right, up on on my one slide. And if you read Deuteronomy 22, and you read John eight, something's wrong. Did you notice what's wrong? Where's the guy, right? Where's the guy? They're not being obedient. This isn't, this isn't. So don't miss that, right? This is like somehow the woman's culpable and the guy not culpable. That is exactly not what the law says. And and so even in that, I feel like Jesus' answer is both protective of her, cuts to their heart. Okay, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Uh, and it says, the oldest men walked away first, which is a fascinating little addition in there, right? Uh, understanding their own sin. So he cuts them to the heart. But I, but I also think it's a rebuke of, you think you're being faithful? You're not being faithful. Uh, Matthew 23. The chief, uh, the chief priest and the teacher of the law sit in Moses' seat. So you must do what they say but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. That's what he says. And that's a perfect example uh, is John 8, is that is not obedience, right? That is not what is supposed to happen. Um, So I think in many ways, Jesus and how he responds does end the argument. A good example of that is, is there life after death, right? The the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this theological disagreement. And his answer is the brilliant answer God is, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God that they were dead by then, right? When Moses said that, when he said that to Moses, he's not the God of the dead, but the living. And that seems like historically to have ended, <laughs> that seems like that answer just has ended the debate of is there a life after this one? Uh, so it, it absolutely could be that the, the good answer there also, but that's, you know, he, I think he recognizes when they're just setting a trap for him, when they're trying to trap him. But I don't want you to miss that, right? John 8 is absolutely inconsistent with Deuteronomy 22. Um, Could you um, talk a little bit about the command do not murder and its associations with abortion and things in our culture today? Um, For instance, the uh, Alabama Supreme Court decision last week that said an embryo is a child no matter where its location is. And um, sort of some of these modern issues we're wrestling with that maybe weren't around back <laughs> when the Bible happened. Yep. So I, I think that, again, as I said earlier, we need to be people of life. What I shared in that sermon, if you go back and listen to the, the sermon uh, that I had up on the screen, you'll hear this, my own story. Uh, My mom was 15 when I was conceived and born, and it was 1968, 69, I was born in 1969, so it was before Roe v. Wade in 1973, and so what I say is I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to live, right? It might not have gone that way, and I understand my mom being, so I wanna be nuanced about it. My mom was 15 years old. Now, she happened to have a family that would support her, And, and so my brother and I, who then was two years later, she was still only 17, my dad was 17 and 19, um, like, what if it's not that circumstance? So so I want to be careful, and I'm, I'm, this is not, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want to give such a simple answer, right, that we walk away feeling good about ourselves and miss the idea of being people of life. Um, so there's a much higher burden for being people of life. but. Should we advocate for public policy um, that is effective in protecting life? I do think that's a good thing for us to do. I would say that personally. And as a church, we have a position paper. You can go read our position paper. Now, what does the scripture say about it? And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find this passage really easily, but um, maybe somebody will remember it. I think it's in Exodus, I'm thinking 22, but I don't know if I'm gonna find it really quickly. But if you struck a woman and she's pregnant and the baby dies, you're culpable for the death of of the baby. Right, that's what's in the text. So I think that should inform our theological understanding on this modern question, right? That's how it's seen. And, and not just a, like I knew you in the womb and before you were born, you know, form, not just those passages, but from the law standpoint, the, the person who had killed that unborn child was culpable. That's what's in the text. And I think that should inform our understanding. Hey, I got to call it. Sorry, mamas, okay. We got to go get babies. Um, but Corey is here and accessible to you. I don't know how long you have today. But um, I encourage you, if you have more questions, stop him. He will welcome that. Right, Corey? I would. Recommend um, he would you. love to continue to yes. discuss Deuteronomy in case you didn't get a touch of that today. So thank you for participating in this. And like I said, feel free to keep asking those questions.